Amen. Well, last week we began a new series called Arrival, and uh, we're celebrating Christmas. We know it's the Christmas season. We've decked the place out for you. We want everyone to know there's nothing wrong with celebrating Christmas as long as you remember what it's all about. Last week we went to 1 John and we saw how John said that we would have fullness of joy when we realize what Christmas really is all about. When we look back and remember that that baby that was born in that main, laid in that manger in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, that baby was not just some good dude. He wasn't just some great guy who would live for about 33 years and die a terrible death. He wasn't a prophet. He wasn't an angel. He literally was God in human flesh. John said, I saw him, I heard him, I touched him, I was with him, I was there when he walked on water, I was there when he raised up Lazarus out of the tomb, I was with him and I know him to be true. And if you remember last week, and if you weren't here, you can go back and watch that message or listen to it. But in 1 John 1, 4, he said, I'm writing all this to you, an old man, I'm writing all this to you that your joy may be full. How many know that when you truly understand who Jesus is, that God in human flesh came into our mess to bring us the message of hope and the gospel, it'll fill you with some joy on the inside. A joy the world can't give and the joy the world can't take away. Can I get a witness from anybody in the house? How about online, amen? Well, let's think about that joy for a moment. As today, we're gonna talk about how to prepare for his arrival with the promise of his arrival. He gave us a promise that he was coming and he came. And how do you prepare for that? And I got thinking about it like this. Some of you have already experienced this. Some of you have already experienced what the joy felt like when you first heard a baby was coming. When you heard about the arrival of a child, that you had a, a baby on the way. And I don't know about you, but every once in a while I get on social media and just watch different gender reveals. How many watched some of the crazy things people do with gender reveals? And you see their joy and their excitement. Some of them never need to be repeated again. And some of them are pretty cool. The, the most fun I ever had with someone at a gender reveal, and I won't give their names for uh, protection's sake, but I'll just say this. It involved a pumpkin, explosives, and a long-range rifle. All right, that's all I'm gonna say. Well, one more thing. I'll say this one more thing. A little dab of do ya. All right, all right, there we go. That's good news for you right there. <laughs> but how much joy comes up when somebody says, wow, a baby's on the way. And what do you do with that joy? Write this down. Number one on your message notes. Write this down online campus. You will begin to prepare. Today I want to talk to you about preparation, not just for a child to come, but the child who came. During this Christmas season, as we go around decorating our houses, nothing wrong with that. You ought to decorate your house. Enjoy it. This year, I have the best Christmas decorations in my, of, of my marriage. For the first time in 33 years, we put up lit decorations in the front of the house and I did not have to get on a ladder and climb up on the eve of my house. I looked at it the other day and I thought, baby, this is the best decorations we ever had. And I didn't have to hang a single light on top of the house. It was a good day because I don't like heights. It's also good for my prayer life every year when I am on the eve, but this year I got sanctified. I didn't have to go up there anymore, amen. So here we go, watch this. You can decorate your house, there's nothing wrong with that. Go ahead and do that. Fix your best famous popular Christmas dishes and enjoy every bite. In fact, if you do it in Jesus' name, no calories during Christmas. There we go. 
<laughs> well, maybe not everything I say up here is true like that. All right, fact check the rest of it with the Bible. Here we go. Watch your favorite Christmas movies, sing your favorite Christmas hymns, get along with family and friends, enjoy every moment of it. But I ask you to do this. Don't forget the reason for the season in the midst of all of that. Because none of that is Christmas. Christmas is Jesus. And what is it? As we talked about last week, it's the fact that God came into our mess. That's where the joy should come from. That's where the celebration should come from. That Jesus came as God in human flesh to enter our mess to bring us some hope and some joy in this world. And when you look back at this and you look at all your celebrations, here's what I want you to do. I want you to prepare yourself over the next few weeks. Use this as an awesome opportunity for you who are believers to grow deeper in your walk with Christ. Christ. And if you're in this room or watching online and you've not yet accepted Christ, you've not given your heart over to Christ, would you take these next few weeks to really inquire about the importance of Jesus and truly look at your spiritual life and the value that Jesus could add to it by giving you peace with yourself and peace with God. Everything you're looking for, I'm telling you, is found in Jesus. Would you please inquire and look at this seriously? I want to challenge us to prepare ourselves over this time period for the Lord. Prepare ourselves to embrace him. What do you do anyway with a child? Do you embrace a child? When people find out a child is coming, they get so excited. They start making preparations. They start decluttering the houses. And there's some very practical things we're going to talk about today. Four real practical ones. Here's the first one. Write it down. So easy. But man, it's so important, especially if you're now going to embrace Jesus during this season and grow deeper in your walk with God. And the first one is this. I want to challenge you to prepare your schedules. Prepare your schedule. You know, when you find out that a child is coming, you, you begin to prepare your schedule. You start marking off days. You start setting aside moments. You start thinking about vacations and family gatherings and homecomings and receptions and when you're going to do this with a child and when you're going to do it, when you're going to get family photos. How many remember the Olin Mills days? Oh my goodness, well, I don't even want to go back there. This is Christmas, not nightmares. Here we go. But you want to prepare for these moments where you're together with your family. And, and, and listen, the same is true with Jesus. Did you know you can get so wrapped up in the Christmas season that you can miss Jesus when it's all about Jesus? I want to challenge you to make time with the Lord. There's a great passage. It's found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. It tells us that Jesus was at the house of Lazarus and Mary and Martha, his sisters. And we know by the scripture, you, listen, you're going to see things today in the scripture, hopefully, or just as I recite it to you, that I want you to capture just how close they must have been as friends. In fact, some scholars will tell you Lazarus was Jesus's BFF on the earth. He was his best friend. And they were close because here's a time when Jesus comes to Mary and Martha's home and Lazarus's home and people are going to be gathering there. They're going to have dinner. And what in the world would you do if Jesus was coming over for dinner? Come on, somebody. How many men be like, I'd want to take vacation because I know how much, how, what the chore list my wife would give me would look like. Can I get a witness from somebody? The honeydew list just grew five times longer. You think the Grinch's heart grew at Christmas? Your to-do list would grow at Christmas if you really believe Jesus was showing up in the house. Amen? 
And, and Martha is busy cleaning the house and cooking the food and preparing. And she's so close. Watch this. She's so close to Jesus that she feels comfortable interrupting Jesus in the middle of a sermon in the living room and says to Jesus while she points out her sister, Mary, you want to talk about sibling robbery? I mean, we all have some family chaos at Christmas, amen? Here's Mary and Martha together. And Martha tells on Mary in front of Mary to Jesus. And, and she says, Jesus, would you please tell my sister Mary, and you know she did it with attitude, y'all. Would you tell my, my sister Mary to get up and help me clean this house before all the guests show up? <laughs> and here's what, where Mary was. The Bible says Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus. Which, by the way, a disclaimer here, for those of you who don't realize this, Jesus is one of only a couple of rabbis in Jewish history who ever allowed a woman to sit at his feet. Sitting at his feet was the position of a disciple. He was honoring a woman in a day when women weren't honored. And he said, she has just as much right to be at my feet as you men do. And Mary, or Martha is saying, won't you make her get up? She's, Mary is so engrossed in the teaching of Jesus. And I love Jesus' response. He looks back at Martha and he says, Martha, Martha, you're so worried about so many things. Now, notice what Jesus didn't say. Jesus didn't say, it don't matter about the house. It don't matter about the food. He didn't say all that. He said this. He said, Mary has chosen the most important. And I won't take it away from her. He wasn't saying cleaning the house wasn't important. <laughs> so men, I'm not getting you out of that honeydew list. Uh, he wasn't saying that you know, preparing the food wasn't important. But he was saying the most important thing was is that Mary had made a moment. Are y'all with me today? Mary had made a moment to sit at the feet of Jesus and be with him first. I wanna tell you, if you wanna truly embrace Jesus this season, if you wanna grow deeper in your walk with Christ, schedule time in your calendar to get with God. Don't just think it's gonna naturally happen because the devil is a master at distraction. In fact, uh, I didn't bring my cell phone out here, but I have, uh, I have this Version Bible app I don't know if you, I, I'm, and I'm not paid to promote them. I just said, this is what I'm using, right? Anyway, I've got a daily reading plan, Bible reading plan for Advent, and I've got a daily prayer guide that every morning, 6.20 a.m., the prayer guide pops up on my phone. At 7.20 a.m., the Bible reading plan pops up on my phone. I can read the Bible and I can pray without it, but it's a good reminder to force me to take time aside and just spend some time with the Lord. I don't care what you do. I'm just showing you how I do it. I'm just saying, schedule some time. Somebody say amen. amen. Jesus said this in Matthew 6, If you seek first the kingdom of heaven, all this other stuff will get added to you anyway. Number two, prepare your finances. If you've got a baby coming, how many know you had to change the way you spent your money? If you got a baby coming, you start budgeting how you're gonna to spend today's funds and hopefully you started thinking about investing for that child's future and started preparing for uh, the future. Did you know the Bible has a lot to say about how we as Christians operate with our finances? Now, I know that's not a popular subject right now, but it needs to be talked about for a moment. Uh, the Bible tells us a lot about it. Here's the reason why. You say, why does God give us so many scriptures about money in the Bible? It's because God doesn't need it and God isn't worried about it and God owns it all to begin with. Say amen. 
fact, the Bible says the Bi God is the one that gives you the ability to do your job and make your wealth. You didn't go out and get it. God gave it to you. So what he, uh, what he does is he teaches us in the Bible how to manage the money. Watch this, watch this, watch this. Manage your money so that your money doesn't manage you. This is so huge. This is so important for all of us to grab a hold of, even you online campus, because watch this, watch this, watch this. God knows there's one thing in our lives that can take control of us quicker than anything else, and that's how we love our own money. That's my money. No, it's God's money. No, that's my money. But here's what I need you to understand. God, isn't, God doesn't care how you're spending your money. God cares about the money not controlling you. And so here's what God does. He put in a pattern in scripture to help us with that. And uh, one of them is called tithing. Tithing goes back, for those of you who think it was only in the Old Testament with the law, it actually predates the law and was all the way back in Abraham's life before Moses. And a tithe simply means I'm setting aside a sum of money and the word tithe means 10%. And I'm setting this aside and I'm gonna tell God, first of all, God, this is yours, not mine. And you give it back to the work of the kingdom. Offerings is anything above and beyond that. When you come into the New Testament, you don't read a lot about tithes, but you know what you read about in the New Testament over and over and over and over and over and over again is the word generosity. That giving is generosity. And then it's not a matter if it's 10%, 8%, or 18%. Because generosity doesn't deal with a number. Generosity deals with the motive of your heart. When you give, why are you giving, and how are you giving? And when you come to the book of Corinthians, yeah, you want to get deep in this? Here we go. It says God's looking more at the intent of your heart when you give than it is the amount you gave. Think about that. Because our giving should be an act of worship, not of obligation. One thing you're never going to hear here at CPC is you're never going to hear us say, oh, some of you only gave 9% last week. Deacon's calling you this week. Where's the other one? We're not going to do that. We don't police it. I don't even know what any person in this church gives. I don't ever even look at the giving. All I look is the final number of the week. Do we got enough to pay the bills? Amen. Good. Praise Jesus. Can we build another parking lot? By the way, how many's glad to see a third parking lot come in this morning? Amen. Wasn't that cool? That one wasn't even planned. That was just because we have a rock quarry back here because we hit so much rock. We had to do something with the rock. We said, well, let's build another parking lot. Somebody say amen. That's good news. See, Jesus taking care of us and our growth that we ain't even seen yet. Praise Jesus. Uh, here we go. It's just a side note there. <laughs> Your finances is God's way of you controlling the money, and you get to invest back in the kingdom. In fact, if you take biblical principles, you can easily come up with a budget. One that looks something like this, a 10, 10, 80 plan. 10% where you are investing in God's kingdom, that's money you set aside for the Lord's work, your tithe. But then listen to this verse. In Proverbs uh, chapter 21, verse five says, the plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. And God says, I don't, I don't want you to only set money aside for the kingdom. God says, I want you to set money aside for you. And so he's talking about investing and saving for you and your family. And so you take 10%, you put it in savings, and then you have 80% to budget the rest of your life on. And when you get to a better financial position, you may can change that again. You may go to a 15, 15, 70 plan or 10 savings, 10 giving, and a 10 fund money, and then the rest of it go over into your daily living. There's all kinds of ways to do this. I'm just showing you that the Bible actually talks about how to prepare 
yourself financially so that you can invest in the kingdom of God, take care of your kids and your family and live a, a life of contentment. And what are you gonna do? You're gonna prepare. Number three, you prepare for life changes. How many of you have ever uh, remember when your first child was coming, you, your life changed a little? Amen? How many felt like you grew up a couple of years after that baby showed up? Like in two minutes, you grew five years. Right? I mean, all of a sudden, you became wise. All of a sudden, your parents, who you thought were foolish, became the wisest people on the planet. And you called them 15 times a day. How do you do this? How do you sanitize these bottles? What do I do over here? They got under the kitchen. There's a point. What do I do now? Come on, y'all know what I'm talking about. It's like they looking up everything on the kitchen floor. <laughs> I didn't know they knew it was down there. Oh, they know. It's amazing how quickly you grow up when you start having kids, amen? And watch this. The Bible tells us that we need to prepare our life if we're gonna serve the Lord with all of our hearts. If we're gonna honor him this year at Christmas, we're gonna grow deeper in him. Listen to me, you're gonna have to make some time for the Lord. You need to look at your finances. And by the way, can I say this one more last thing about finances? Do you know that debt consumer programs will usually come out on January the 1st and talk about the increase of volume to their call center because after the holidays, people realize just how much they overspent. Here we are in America right now in a financial struggling season of life, right? And this year, for the first time ever, debt consumer companies came out the day after Black Friday and already said their, phone, their call volume was up 44%. The day after Black Friday, people already knew they were in trouble. If you follow God's plan, you won't get in as much trouble. Okay? Just, just want to make that clear. God knows what he's talking about. And one of the ways of doing that is your life. Now, what am I talking about life? Here, I'm talking about if you're going to prepare a life that honors God, and we're going to raise our families to love and honor the Lord, we need to develop a Christian biblical worldview. A worldview is the lens by which we view the world. You can take two people, look at the same event in life, and two people will come out with two different um, uh, philosophies of what happened and why it happened and what, what could have been done based on the, how they view the world. A biblical worldview is you start looking at the world through the lens of what Jesus teaches and we want to look at the world through the eyes of Jesus if we want to live a life that honors Jesus. There are four prevailing worldviews in the world today. Here they are. Materialism. People who live their life by what matters most is what they possess, their money. You, you are what your job title is. You are how much money you make. You are what kind of house you live in. You are what kind of name brand shoes your kids wear. And, and we, we, nothing wrong with having good clothes, good home, none of that. But when that becomes a driving force of your life and how you see the world, something is all, something's off kilter. Another uh, worldview today is he, hedonism. Whatever feels good is good. It's all about pleasure. I just want to live my life for pleasure. If I'm not happy, then the world's not good anymore. I just got to be happy all the time. How many know last Sunday I told you nobody's happy all the time? 
But that's what they look for. I'm just living for pleasure. I mean, no, it's a very selfish way to live. Individualism is what I want comes first. This is all based on selfishness and greed. What I want. Well, don't tell me what's right or wrong. I'll decide that for myself. However, I want to do, if I want to take a day off and don't come to work without calling my boss, I'm going to take off and not call my boss. Why? Because I don't care what anybody thinks. I don't care about the rules. I care about me. That's individualism. And the other one, I hate this one. And we're going into a political year. And I'm just telling you up front, I'm not going to deal with it. Politics as religion. Do y'all like how I threw that in there? I just did it for fun. Anyway, because you know I'm not political. We're not going to play politics and religion. And some people view their politics as their religion, and that is actually one of the four major worldviews of the world today. And none of them is what God wants for you. Not a one of them. Not a one of them is God's plan. God wants you to have a biblical worldview where you look at the world through the eyes of Jesus in Scripture. Um, I came across this. I thought it was uh, eye-opening. It says a national survey found that 62% of Americans claim they are deeply spiritual. And when asked how that spirituality affects their decision-making and their worldview, here's what they said. 31% said, I make all my decisions based on moral choices on what feels right and what feels comfortable. I mean, it started off pretty good, but it slid pretty fast, didn't it, Amen. 31%, excuse me, 18% said I make, I make life choices on whatever's best for me. Now these are people who claim to be deeply spiritual. 14% said they make their life choices on whatever causes the least conflict for others. And only 16% of the survey said I make my life decisions based on what God says in his word. I want to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, if we're going to prepare our hearts to live for Jesus and glorify Jesus and help our world see the message of Jesus, then we need to make sure we're making time for the Lord, that we operate our finances in a way that honors the Lord, and we need to make choices based on a biblical worldview and not a humanistic worldview. Amen? Number four, we're going to prepare our heart. Because I can tell you this, the first three will never happen if you don't prepare your heart to receive the Lord. I want you to hear what the God said through the prophet Jeremiah. He said through the prophet Jeremiah, you will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all of your heart. Now, why do you think that is? Think about this for a moment. Let's just stop and pause for a moment. Online campus, lean in close to the screen. Why do you think God came to the earth and took on human flesh in the form of an infant? He could have easily had done everything he needed to do and come in the form of a full-grown 30-year-old male. He did not have to come as a baby. Nothing forced him to come as a baby. Why would God do that? Two reasons. Number one, we learn in Hebrews chapter four, 
that God is, that Jesus is our high priest who can sympathize with all of our weaknesses. In other words, he came as a baby, went through every phase of life so that now you can go to God with anything on your mind and heart and you can pray to God and know you're praying to a God who understands what you're going through because he once was a baby. He once went through puberty. He once was a teenager. He once was a young man. He knows social pressure. He knows it all. You can talk to Jesus. He understands. But I believe there's a second reason he came as a baby. What do you do with babies when they come in the room? Everybody wants to do what? Embrace the baby. It's so fun to watch them out in the lobby. Grown men who won't raise their hand, won't talk. Just, oh, praise Jesus, good coffee. But a baby come out there in the lobby and that full grown man is in that baby's face going, get you, get you, goo. Right? It's amazing. What do you think God's message there is? Do you want to know God? The creator of the universe? The one who threw the stars into place? I'm talking about God. You want to know God? You want to know the God of the universe? The God who said, I'm going to make a giraffe with a really long neck. I can just see God with his modeling clay. That's about right. A God who created a fish with whiskers like a cat. Think about the imagination of God. You want to know God? Embrace him. You can hold God. You can embrace God. Isn't that an amazing thought? God would say you can come and embrace him. Jesus said this in Matthew 27, 37. The greatest of all the commandments. If you know it, say it with me. Online campus, go ahead and type it in the comments. Come on. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and with all of your mind. Somebody shout, with all that I am. Love the Lord Jesus. Love him with all that you are. Embrace him. Love him. He loves you. So prepare your life to live for him. Now let me say this one last thing here before I close. You do all this preparation awaiting the arrival of a child. What else do you do? You, anticipate, you, you, you have joy, you prepare, and what does that preparation lead to? It leads to, write this down on your outline, anticipation. Then all of a sudden you start anticipating the day. I was, uh, I was with a family at a wedding this weekend and, and uh, one, of the, one of the daughters-in-laws uh, is about to give birth and, and we're all sitting around there at the rehearsal trying to pick out the day and we're all picking what day she's about to have this baby and everybody's all excited and they're picking days and that's what you do when a child's coming. You, you just start anticipating when that baby's gonna arrive. We should do the same thing with Jesus because can I tell you 2,000 years ago, no one in Jerusalem was anticipating his arrival. The King Herod and the religious leaders, no one was looking for him. They got so, watch this, watch this, watch this, so caught up in living life that they weren't looking for the king to actually come. And you and I can sit in church and go through Christmas and get so wrapped up in life 
and in our Christmas celebrations that we forget to prepare just to receive him and to know that when you receive him, he actually shows up. And not only that he come the first time, but his first coming tells us something else. He's coming again. How many are still looking for him to come the second time? Because if he come a first time, he's gonna come a second time, amen? Jesus said these words in John chapter 14. Jesus says, I'm going away and I'm gonna prepare a place for you. And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will receive you that where I am, there you may be also. He said he's going away, but if he's going away, he's coming back and we're gonna go meet him someday, amen? In Acts chapter one, when Jesus arose and he ascended to the right hand of the Father, the disciples were sitting there watching Jesus as he elevated up into the clouds and, and the angel said to the disciples, what are you looking at? This same Jesus whom you see go away in like manner, he will come again. How many know if the clouds are seeding, the clouds are bringing him back someday, amen? One day a trump's gonna sound and the sky's gonna split and King Jesus, the same one born in Bethlehem, is coming back. Listen to me. You can receive him now in this mess and when he comes again, he'll make all things new. Amen? The Magi were looking for him. Who were these Magi in Matthew chapter five? They were astrologers from Babylon, modern day Iraq. And you say, how in the world did they know to be looking for King Jesus? They've been looking for him for over 500 years. They learned to look for the signs from the prophet Daniel when Daniel was enslaved to Babylon. Can God make good come out of a bad situation? He did there, 500 years after Daniel was dead and gone into heaven, wise men were still studying his words and they saw the star. And they said, that, that looks like the one Daniel told us about. And when the religious leaders and the king of Israel weren't looking for him, <laughs> thank God for this, a bunch of old pagans were watching and they came and they got to lay their eyes on King Jesus. Now, I don't know how you think about yourself, but I think about myself as an old pagan from nowhere, Kentucky, who Jesus has invited to come and know him in a personal relationship. And I, my eyes hasn't beheld him yet, but my heart has, and I've received him as my Lord and my Savior. And I'm gonna live my life for him. Because one day I know he's coming back and these old Kentucky boy eyes that are now Missouri boy eyes, I guess. Been here 12 years. These eyes one day, whether while I'm alive or after I'm gone, but my eyes one day will behold him. Because he's coming back, amen? Does anybody believe that in this house today? He's coming back. Amen? What should you do with this truth? What should this truth do for you? It should fill you with hope, friend. Hope. That God will be with you in your mess now and God one day is coming back to take us home. Jesus is coming back. 
Revelation 1-7 says this. And look, he's coming in the clouds and every eye shall behold him. Won't that be a wonderful day? Every eye is going to see him. You know who it's going to be a wonderful day for? is all those who prepared their life for him. Won't be such a wonderful day if you don't prepare your life for him. Here's your big takeaway. Here's why I've took the last 30 minutes of your life away to tell you. <laughs> I want you to have confidence when Jesus comes again. I want you to have confidence when you stand before the Lord someday. And the Bible says this, write it down. Confidence comes to stand before the Lord. To have that confidence, you have to have a life that's been prepared. It comes from a life that's prepared. How do you prepare your life? You receive Jesus. And then you devote the rest of your life to Jesus. Today I just gave you some practical ways to devote your life to Jesus. John, who we talked about last week, in that same book of 1 John in chapter 2, verse 28, he says this. He told us he's writing these things so that you and I can have confidence and not be ashamed when he comes. How many of you want to be able to stand with your head held up high when he comes back? How many want to stand before him and say, that's my Lord, and not be ashamed? You can receive his forgiveness and devote your life to him. Live for him every day. Use this Christmas season to grow in your faith. Grow deeper in your walk with the Lord. And if you're loving the Lord and walking with the Lord, you won't be ashamed when he comes back. Amen?